this morning when I came in, I went downstairs and uh, I uh, and one of our parishioners said, uh, "Father, it's good to good to see you." And I said, "Thank you. It's better to be seen than to be viewed." Uh, sometimes, sometimes it isn't, uh, and it is good to be back uh, after this time. I have looked forward to this. Uh, I've looked forward to preaching these, my last sermons, as your rector uh, uh, for all these years. And I look forward to Father Sean's installment, uh, institution as our new rector uh, on the Epiphany in just a few days. I have four more sermons to preach after this, so buckle up your seatbelts. <laughs> no surprises here, I promise. Now, when John had heard in prison the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Can you all hear me? Okay. This is a pretty disturbing scene, especially if one passes over to John's point of view. He was in prison, and he must have known uh, that he would not get out alive. Uh, furthermore, uh, he seems to be having uh, second thoughts about the strong claims he had only recently made concerning Jesus as the bridegroom, as the Messiah of Israel. Uh, Herod, uh, the king, uh, was anxious over John's popularity among the common folk. So were the Pharisees, who were careful not to voice any public criticism of John for fear of falling out of their favor. Not only that, but the Pharisees, with some success, had worked to enlist some of John's disciples in order to bring about a unified judgment against Jesus for abandoning the Jewish purification rites. But the situation here uh, is that John has been taken into custody by Herod's thugs. Not a good thing. Herod's dynasty was homicidal, pitiless, and characterized with paranoia. Herod Antipas, this Herod we're talking about right now, who has imprisoned John, was about 15 years old when his father ordered what we know as the slaughter of the innocents. And after that, two of Herod's siblings were murdered by their father for fear that they would usurp his throne. Uh, the pagans had a saying, it'd be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Uh, Herod has survived, this Herod had survived the family purges and he managed to end up as tetrarch after his father died. Now he unhappily held John Baptist in prison and he knew nothing good was going to come out of this. And he wasn't happy about it. Uh, John was a realist. And it was certain that his life's work was about to come to an end. And he's not the sort of prophet who softened the truth for anyone. And so on the cusp of his death, he sent uh, this message to Jesus through a couple of his most trusted disciples. Very simple. Uh, are you he that should come, or do we look for another? 
Are you the Messiah or not? Because he had just recently declared him to be the Messiah. Well, why is this disturbing? This is disturbing, would be disturbing for John any way you look at it. But it's disturbing in a larger way too uh, because it's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing question. And all the more embarrassing and uncomfortable because it's coming from the Baptist who had declared to Israel that her bridegroom had come. So a few days or weeks later, after he made that declaration, he was arrested, put in prison, and John uh, sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him if uh, he was in fact the Messiah. Uh, uh, and, and we get hold of a different perspective on the Baptist himself now. Uh, it's embarrassing, it's an embarrassment to the church, uh, that John had second thoughts, uh, uh, wondering if Jesus is the Messiah. Especially because John, by Jesus' own testimony, stands next to the Blessed Virgin Mary in a singular dignity. And this brings us to the first point that I want to make, uh, which is this. Uh, another way to take this is that it should elevate your trust in the New Testament. Why? Well, because the church certainly didn't make up this story. No organization, the church certainly wouldn't have uh, made up a story about or inventing a crisis uh, uh, from a man who is as reliable and noteworthy as John the Baptist uh, who had put the imprimatur upon their later Jesus. Uh, I submit to you uh, that this is another piece of textual evidence that shows the reliability and the truthfulness of the New Testament. I want you to get that. That's what I want you to get. That the fact that they include this event in here, it, uh, it, it should elevate uh, your trust uh, in, in the New Testament. It's reliability and truthfulness. This is the first point I want you to take away. This account's cringeworthy honesty is a mark of the church's devotion to the truth. And it is evidence that it really happened. There really was a man named Jesus. There really was a man named John the Baptist who thought that that man, who believed that man to be the Messiah. But at the very end of his life, he wondered. I mean, I imagine John was just shocked that he was in prison uh, by Herod. He, he certainly, uh, I think, uh, probably expected the kingdom of God to come much more rapidly uh, than that. Given that this account of John's very personal crisis is true, what does it mean? Well, I submit to you that Matthew, well, let me just say this. Matthew's, I think it's a case that Matthew's intended audience, the original audience, which was the Jewish church, that's Matthew's gospel, is written to a Jewish church, may not have been nearly as troubled over John's experience of discouragement and doubt as most modern readers, or other readers, or me. 
for that matter, because it does trouble me. We can try to identify what pushed John over uh, into this experience of doubt and discouragement, but to be exact, uh, as we can, we, we'll have to state simply that we can say a lot more about the doubt than we can about its causation. The doubt, listen, the doubt has specifically to do with the identity of Jesus Christ. That's why it's staggering. And he is, he represents the Old Testament and all of the Old Testament prophets laying their hand upon Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, and then he pulls his hand back. That's why it's embarrassing and shaking and a stumbling block. It's a profound crisis also, as profound a crisis as any Christian can experience. Is Jesus who we believe him to be or not? Well, as I've already said, Matthew's audience may not, may not have had uh, been as troubled uh, by uh, that as I and other people uh, have been who have studied uh, uh, the New Testament because his, uh, his audience was a Jewish church that was biblically literate, steeped, saturated in the New Testament, I mean, in the Old Testament. A Jewish community uh, and, and, uh, and, and a saturated audience, saturated with the biblical, uh, biblical truths of the Old Testament, which is very rare in our day. Uh, it's a community nurtured on the Bible. Uh, and, and knows that only God is God, and even the best, the godliest saints uh, will, uh, have known profound discouragement uh, uh, and, and doubt and have even acted on self-will. That's the point I'm making, uh, is that they would have known of other saints that are similar. Uh, to, for example, take Elijah, the great prophet of God, who later on in this chapter in Matthew Jesus will identify with John the Baptist. Now for a moment, pretend that you're a little child standing there in that crowd with Jesus. and John has sent this message and you heard it. And let's say that your parents have made sure that you attended Hebrew Vacation Bible School. And, made sure, and your parents made sure that you were at the Wednesday Hebrew agape. Where you heard the Old Testament stories over and over again. So that you were saturated. Your family, your life, your community, all that you know, saturated in the Old Testament. Even a little child uh, standing there with Jesus who heard those questions coming from John, may well have thought of Elijah. Elijah's the greatest of the prophets. You know, and you all know this, he single-handedly defeated how many? 450 of Baal's prophets. Baal's false god, you all know that in the, in the Old Testament. They all know that story. 
remember how Elijah, uh, Baal's prophets prayed first and nothing happened. And then Elijah, just to be mean, started making fun of their God. He said, well, maybe he's developed a hearing problem. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. Read it. <laughs> Read the Old Testament story. Then Elijah called upon his God, who happens to be the one Jesus called Father. And Jesus' Father heard him and sent fire down from heaven that not only consumed the sacrifice, but consumed the stone altar that Elijah had built to worship God. Wow! You would think that would put an end to paganism. It didn't happen. The little children would have remembered that. Israel was still full of idolatry, and Elijah became very discouraged. And then when Queen Jezebel sent her man out to hunt him down, he became fearful. And he ran off to the desert and sat under a juniper tree, and he said to God, just kill me. But God didn't do that. God sent him an angel, and he fed him with miraculous food. And after Elijah had eaten that supernatural food and had been strengthened supernaturally so that he could go 40 days and 40 nights without food, you know what he did? He went out and he conquered paganism. No, he did not. He used that strength to find a cave where he hid from Jezebel. And he refused to leave the cave. So God came to the cave and God came inside and he said, what are you doing here? Now, all of the children knew this story. In fact, all of the children know the end of this story. I do too. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. If you want to find out, go home today and look at 1 Kings 19 and start reading. And you'll find out what happened. What's my point? You know what my point is. My point is that Matthew recorded John's struggle with doubt because it's an important reality for the church to take in and to... Uh, uh, Appropriate. Uh, uh, which reality of doubt should encourage future disciples whose faith will be tested by real hardship, real doubt, real distress, and guaranteed real disappointments? We participate in our Lord Jesus Christ through the miracle of baptism in the Blessed Sacrament. And that participation is also referred to as a participation in his suffering. And it is inescapable. Uh, furthermore, uh, the early church uh, uh, shared this perspective, especially, in particular, uh, the early Jewish Christians who were biblically literate, uh, and that provided them with a common narrative, uh, uh, narrative they held in common with Jesus, his disciples, and with John, specifically the, the Old Testament. 
and, and it, it's a narrative that I've already elaborated and elaborated. I'll sum it up with a quote from St. Paul. Uh, this is what he says. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. John the Baptist was the very embodiment of the Old Testament gravitas, sobriety, and holiness. A man of God, a prophet of God, and a friend of the bridegroom. That's why we have John the Baptist on one, don't mistake him for Jesus. They look alike because they were cousins. Uh, that's John the Baptist, and that's the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady. And they represent the old and the new. John looms so large in the life of the church, in the life of the early church, that right in the middle of the prologue of the Gospel of John, which is all about the Word made flesh, we're told about John the Baptist and his role in the history of salvation. There was a man sent from God, his name was John. He came for a witness, to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light. They really want to make that clear. Why? Well, apparently because some people thought he was that light. He was not that light, but came to bear witness to that light. Jesus told John's disciples to go back to his prison cell and tell him what they saw. Tell him the blind received their sight, the lame walked, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he that shall not be offended in me. Jesus Christ knew his mission, and John's doubts did not make him swerve one way or the other. He was not unsure of himself. Furthermore, Jesus knew uh, that John would recognize everything he said there to be part of their common narrative uh, from the Old Testament. It's what they shared, it's their life together, the people of God. There are two points, last, last 25 words or so. Two points I want to make that I've made today. The first thing I want you to take away from John's crisis is that this embarrassing honesty is a mark of the church's devotion to the truth and it is evidence that it really happened because nobody in their right mind would make that up and say, isn't that good for the church? The second thing, I want you to be strengthened and to know that we're all earthen vessels and so were the greatest saints. We have faith in Jesus. We do not have faith in faith. Please understand that. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith is not even in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus' faith and Jesus' actions. 
and his life, his faith, his trust, his really real sold out life of devotion and trust to his father. That's what we believe and that's what we trust in. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.